You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. Welcome to another episode of Cultivate. This is a show about you and your journey in the cannabis industry. It's moving fast, but there's room for everyone. Buckle up as we bring you the people and the technology that are blazing the trail. Never dry by. Just kidding. Never buy dry. So today we've got another fun interview lined up with Keystone Labs. We're going to dive into kind of what they do. Um, They're in Canada, so it's a little bit different than here in the States. Um, But we're going to dive into kind of their process, what the role they play in the cannabis industry, um, and then just how all of the testing has to go through them. You're listening to Cultivate, a podcast about the people and technology that are blazing a trail in the cannabis industry. Welcome to another episode of uh, Cultivate, and today's special guest is Keystone Labs. Our friends Jody and Rod, Jody McDonald and Rod Sarka are with us from Keystone Labs. How you doing? Doing great. Happy and, to be here. And we're actually in Toronto filming this right now, which is kind of cool, so... This is exciting. Yeah, we're here for the Lyft show, and we actually met our friends from Keystone Labs at a Lyft show in Vancouver a few years ago. 2016. 2016. Wow. That was a long time ago. Yeah, so it's three Lyfts ago. Three Lyfts ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A couple of the most pleasant people I've ever met at a show, and uh, unbeknownst to me, you were new. It looked like you'd been in the industry for a long time, but you were new. Brand new. We got into some uh, conversation about your business. So, do, do you remember what your expectations were at the Vancouver show? And can you talk about how things have changed uh, now? Sure. We had just started doing cannabis testing. We had just launched at the Vancouver show our Keybox test, which was a personal cannabis test kit. Mm-hmm. We thought we were going to sell out. We brought two bags full of kits and we sold four. <laughs> um, so that was a little eye-opening and then since then we've we've started to develop a brand and people recognize us at the shows and and now we can sell a bag full of kits that's awesome yeah you're here and you're back uh, you're uh, anytime we have people come back to the next show it's always a big relief because typically in the cannabis industry 80 percent of the exhibitors are not the same next year uh there's so much attrition in this young fledgling business that um you, you start seeing some of the same people, and we had a cordial and friendly relationship immediately. We did. Because you're so friendly and so pleasant. <laughs> so are you. Yeah, and so is Rob. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, indeed. 100%, as they say up here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you talk about what your expectations were when you started Keystone Labs and how it's blossomed and how it's different from what you expected? Sure. So I started Keystone Labs in 2005. We were a pharmaceutical test lab. We're providing third-party testing for health innovation companies in Canada and really around the world. Hmm. And then in 2013, we started to see a change in the people who were calling us. Small home growers were asking us if we could do testing for them, and I thought, no. <laughs> and then the more they called, the more I started to think, maybe there's, maybe I got to think about this a little bit. So in 2015, we were licensed by Health Canada to do cannabis testing. And then we met you guys at the Vancouver show in 2016. And you showed up with your uh, premier product. That's right. The key box. The key box. Key box. Unlock your testing. Unlock your results. Unlock your results. It was a very catchy, uh, very Mm -hmm. wonderful branding opportunity. And how did that go? Yeah, well, we were super excited for launching our first product. So we showed up with two bags full of key boxes and we sold 
four. Um, <laughs> and since then, we've been able to sort of develop some brand following. People recognize us at the show and we can sell our bags full now. So what is the key box? What What is it exactly? So it's a personal cannabis test kit. So okay. anybody who's growing at home or doing extractions at home or if they're accessing products that they're not sure of, of the integrity of the product mm -hmm. they're buying, uh, they can do a small chemistry experiment at home. They send it back to us in the lab and we run it in the same way we do the commercial testing for the big producers. Wow. And then we email you a test report that looks very similar to what we sent to the licensed producers. That's very cool. Yeah. So do you find other people uh, copying your process and, and working on kits, the similar approach that you've had to yeah. making it easy for the consumer? We haven't seen it yet. With, there are some real-time test kits that are available. They're not always reliable. So this isn't real time. This is something you do a small chemistry work at home. You do all the sample preparation for us. And then we, it takes about five days from the time we get it back in the lab for us to send mm. you results. But there are uh, products available that give you sort of a sense, sort of a, we call it a pH test. Yeah. It's just sort of bucket chemistry. Yeah. People are looking at, is it there? Or is it not there? Hmm. And why, why is it so important to test cannabis? I mean, I think as the industry is evolving, you, you're hearing a lot more about testing and the importance of testing. From my perspective, testing gives you the opportunity to control what you're, what you're using, what you're consuming. Mm -hmm. It also ensures that the product you're using is safe. Yep. And that's, that's really the bottom line for us is about safety, is about protecting the clients who are using the products. And so when, when you're testing, what are you looking for in these tests that are going to say this is a quality, safe product or it's not? So there's in, in Canada, the federal government regulates which tests the licensed producers need to, to do in order to release their products for consumer use. Um, potency is one of them. So looking at THC and CBD content in all the products. And then contamination is the big other group of tests that we do. So um, microbial contamination. So we count how much is there and we also look for specific pathogens. And then there's uh, pesticides testing. So we're looking for the absence of pesticides absence of heavy metals um, and then there's a whole group of toxins that we're looking for that hmm. also we want to be absent interesting what is, is it interesting yeah no i just i for my own knowledge too i just want to know the process like that a licensed producer has to go through like just from start to finish in terms of testing right so they have a quality assurance person on staff and that that person sort of directs the process flow of, of products. So once it's packaged, it goes into quarantine. They statistically sample the products that have been packaged and send them to us for testing. Once we send them data, that quality assurance person takes a look at all of the production records and then they verify that the test data we sent them meets the requirements Health Canada has hmm. and then they release the product into the consumer market. And how long does that whole pro is it a quick process or is it a long? Yeah, it, well, it can take some time. Um, Typical turnaround in the industry right now is about 10 days for testing. Oh, yeah, it's not too bad. I don't know whether I've just become a nerd for nerds, and I don't mean to say nerd in a pejorative way. I have I'll a tell nerd you what badge. That means later. Yeah, I actually don't know what that means. So, um, lab people are some of the best people that we meet at shows. And I mean, we had an immediate connection with you and Rod at the show. I, I mean, it, it, your attitude, your enthusiasm, this whole scientific trip about cannabis and what what we don't know. Uh, so many of us uh, laymen that don't know what this plant's capable of doing, 
Um, so I get to know all these lab people, and I love these lab people. I've really gotten, become fond of you guys. You know that. I've always gone out of my way to say hi to you guys, and we have fun together. But I met this crew from Evo Labs, and I really – oh, they're awesome people. And you've got some recent news about something that happened between you and our friends at Evo Labs. Can you talk about that? Sure. I, we, we met Evo in January in Vancouver, Lyft. Hmm. And they started a conversation with us, and we were looking for a way to kind of grow our business. And Evo said, we are looking for a partner in Canada. So, so we're partners That's now awesome. officially. Yeah. That's awesome. So as a disclaimer, I was so fond of these people from Evo Labs, and there's all these startups in the cannabis industry, right? And Evo, these are solid people, really lovely people. And when I get to know managements of companies that I like, I always check out their their public offering page and everything, and I bought a few shares of Evo. So when I heard nice that they got into cahoots with you, I bought a few more shares. Of Evo. Excellent, <laughs> yeah. excellent. Yeah. So yeah. congratulations, that's Thanks. a big deal. We're really excited. We're so you're internationally aligned now. We, hmm. Does that mean you'll be going to trade shows in the U.S.? Uh possibly. I think they have a team down there. Yeah. We're definitely doing more trade shows in Canada. That's awesome. Yeah. So how many shows do you do a year? A uh, handful, like six maybe. Six, seven. Yeah. And this is probably the best show of, of all we of them. We love Lyft. Yeah, yeah. Lyft, Lyft Vancouver was so productive for us this year. Yeah. So, I mean, when we went to Lyft uh, Toronto, that was actually our first show together. Well, it, technically the second show, but it was all in, in one trip We when we went to Champs in Atlantic City. But yeah. Um, I mean, it was mind blowing. We, all of our samples were gone within uh, three hours the yeah. first day. Oh, wow. No, we, we had no samples the rest of the show. We just stood in the booth waving at people. Yeah. <laughs> and we were new on the scene in Canada. I mean, it was our first big show in Canada, probably our first trade show in Canada. I think they had 20,000 people show up. Yeah. And it was, I mean, and then ever since then, Lyft has been just phenomenal for, mm-hmm. for us. And everyone that works at Lyft has been great. So. I love I love these shows. Well, and Lyft for us is to Canada what the MJ Biz shows are for us in yeah. the U.S. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, as far as the competition, as far as the number of labs that uh, have come online as the <laughs> regulatory framework shifts and as things progress, um, how is the competitive marketplace? What do you What do you see? What do you expect? Are we going to have a lot more labs get on board? Is there a demand for a ton of labs? Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, so a year ago, there was a handful, like around 10 labs hmm. across Canada. Now there's close to 30. Wow. But Health Canada is changing the regulations. So um, the requirements for capital investment, like buying equipment, is much higher than it was a year ago. So I think we'll see some some labs disappear and we'll see other labs come in their, in their place. Or yeah. some will consolidate with other labs. Sure, yeah. Okay. Is there, do you have a... Any crazy stories from any testing that you've done or is there anything? Yeah. We, um, so our first show was Vancouver yeah. uh, in 2016. We got back to the lab and within minutes of us walking through the door, the phone rang and it was uh, the police <laughs> from Vancouver <laughs> calling us. And both Rod and I are looking at each other like, what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they actually saw us at the show and had collected some samples that they wanted tested. So that was, it was cool huh. to work with them. But in the moment that they said, this is the Delta police calling, we were, 
Well, oh, I would worried. be. I would be worried. Well, especially if you're overwhelmed with guilt in the first place, it right. really elicits right. a lot we of fear. We hadn't gone to confession yet, so yeah, it was, it was a big day. So you work with the federal, the, with the feds, and with the provincial governments. Is there a connection there? So in Canada, it's the federal government that regulates all the testing. So they say what needs to be tested. The LPs um, choose the samples for testing. We provide test testing. And then Health Canada checks in with both sides. So we've we've have uh, our federal government is not in line and doesn't doesn't have a plan, uh, at least that they've shared with us uh, yet, about how they're going to handle the the federal cannabis business. So each one of the states is their own jurisdiction, and and the feds are largely looking the other way. And and um, it's a real disadvantage for us. I mean, today in California, everybody's complaining about how the regulatory framework has really hampered the growth of the business and even threatened the survival of the business oh, wow. in, uh, for a lot of people in, in California. Um, how is it working with Health Canada? How is, and I, 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 is this one of those softballs where you're going to tell us how great they are? Oh, they're so fantastic. Hello, <laughs> Health Canada. Or, um, um, 100%. Yes. 100. They, I mean, they started, I don't think they anticipated the response in 2013 when they rolled out the legislation. Um, quickly after they rolled out our first legislation, there was legal challenges to it. So they've changed it since then. And we're moving towards the Cannabis Act, which will allow for adult use legalization. Um, in terms of Health Canada's regulatory body, they're a government agency, so they move as fast as they yeah. want. I've, yeah, I've noticed that when we have tried to communicate with them, it's it's slow. It's, well, it's like any government. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just had an example of how wonderful and polite Canadians are, and we could really take a, a lesson out of their playbook as far as how to talk to regulators, because you guys are so nice. You're so polite. I mean, it's one of the things I love. Have I told you that I love Canadians? Yeah, I think you said it a, a, a few times in the last hour. Yeah, I love Canadians. <laughs> I do. I, I, if I weren't an American, I'd be a Canadian. Okay, so on a scale of 1 to 10... 10 being really square, one being really whatever the opposite of square is. Round? round. <laughs> A circle? <laughs> Come so, on now. So, I mean, where are you on the spectrum? Because you're a scientist, first and foremost. Yeah, very square. So pretty, very way square. up there, like a nine, nine square? 10, straight 10. 10. Yeah. Where's, where's Rod on the scale? It, 10 is too low for a rod. Really? Yeah. So you're both pretty rectangular. Yeah. Got some right angles here. Yeah. So how about the conversation about the plant? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you personally interact? Are you a cannabis consumer? I am not. Have you tried CBD? I have not. Have you, Are you open to the idea of trying it? This is not, Absolutely. A, de- this is not a deposition. Oh, right. <laughs> I have not tried it this. Mom, I've never tried it. Um, because it's... Not legal yet in Canada. I, I'm a rules follower. Um, I, yeah, I'm open to trying it. Do you cross at the corner? Of course. Do you wait for the light? Always. Do you ever go in the middle of the block? No. <laughs> oh. Why would you do that? God, I love you. I just think that's so great. Yeah. I'm not a rule follower, if you haven't noticed. but I'm not much of a rule follower. I used to be really not square. I became sort of, by necessity, rather square. Uh, because I had such a horrendous problem with drugs and alcohol when I was a young man. And then I've been out of that for a long time. And What, 30? 34 years. Oh. So um, I come into the cannabis industry with a sense of um, history and some awe 
about the fact that I'm actually at a cannabis event or that we're having conversations about this. And then I listen to the testimonials of people and how this plant has changed their lives. And it blows me away. I mean, have you, you must hear a lot of stories as you've been hanging around. Do you have any that stand out? We, we get story. I, the phone rings and it's a story. Always. (laughs) There's always a story on the other end. I think probably the most touching stories we hear are from parents who are trying to help their children. Yeah. Those are the ones that really make you believe or at least stop and think more critically about your opinion about the plant for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Buddy of mine, uh, who I partied with as a young man, um, he's a guitar virtuoso and he developed a brain uh, issue called focal dystonia and he lost the use of his hands, which is his livelihood. He also happened to have a son who was suffering from epileptic seizures, a lot of epileptic seizures to the point where the young man was really challenged with carrying on with his life. And they took on the cannabis uh, uh, therapies uh, to try to help the young man and see if it would impact my friend's uh, playing ability. And it completely changed their lives. Wow. To, to hear the testimonials of going from hundreds of seizures a month to maybe one or two. I mean, it's just remarkable. So if a, if a sample fails, what, what happens then? Does it just get thrown away? So from our perspective... The data is data. It yeah. doesn't. It's not good or bad for us. We just. It's just data. Yeah. But the quality assurance person with the commercial producers then has to make a decision about what what happens with the plant. Yeah. So with Health Canada's requirements for quality testing, failing test results means they have to destroy the products. Hmm. Yeah. This question is kind of a stretch coming from Bovida. Um, so the stretch is: Do you use humidity control in your process, or do you? measure water activity in the bud that you analyze? So we don't control humidity. In fact, um, moisture is a critical uh, quality test that we run. So as a product ages and they dry and cure it, um, the humidity has to be at a certain level for it. I think for somebody who uses Mm -hmm. there's a key amount of moisture that's critical. Mm -hmm. Um, From a scientific perspective, the more water, the more bad the product becomes. It's a really good breeding ground for fungus mm-hmm. uh, as water. Water and plant together makes the fungus grow, really. So do you have a sense of what the water activity is in the cannabis that you analyze? I mean, uh, it- Yeah, so Health Canada has a requirement that a labeled product has to be uh, less than 10% moisture. Mm. So super dry. Super That's dry. Yeah. Super dry. Mm-hmm. That mm. almost hurts my throat. I don't even <clears throat> smoke and it hurts my throat yeah. just talking about it. Yeah, no, that would really rip your throat. Especially my throat. It's very sensitive. So important for Boveda, then. Well, right? yeah. I, 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 we you, you, you can go there if you want to. We're happy to talk about Boveda. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'd personally, I would recommend using Boveda. <laughs> but we don't do this. isn't a commercial for Boveda. Nice plug. So at Vancouver in the, in the winter, and you came over and he's like, hey, I saw your podcast. I think we only had done an episode or two, so I was surprised yeah, that two or three. that you had seen it, which was really cool for, for me to hear. And he's like, I want to be a part of it. And I'm like, yes, let's do it. So here we are. Glad Thanks. you're here. This yeah. is this is Rod, Rod Zarka from Keystone Labs. How you doing? Good, and you? Thanks, Drew. I just want to put a plug out. You know, you always talk about how nice we are at Keystone, and the guys at Bovida, Drew and Scott, have been amazing. Always friendly to talk to, and always complimentary so it's been fun it has 
Well, we used to think, you know, when we started going to shows, you'd look around and you're a little scared because you wonder if your company is going to make it or not. Or, well, we weren't really scared about that, but a lot of people are. And, but you're up, you're like, who's going to help me? Who's, who matters? Who doesn't matter? And then after the third or fourth show, something magical happens and you go, well, everybody matters. And we're all in this together. Yep. And you, you become connected to people that have nothing to do with your business. And then as time goes on, the guy at that company that doesn't have anything to do with your business is suddenly the head of this LP. Or they're doing, you know, there's different people move around. Yeah. Yeah. It's a small industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Prime example, Peter from Lyft who was a, a great friend and was always wonderful to us when he worked at Lyft now is over at Believe, the LP, which is really cool because he, he reached out and uh, wants to, to talk about working together. But, I mean, it's a prime example. So, yeah, it's always treat people with respect. and Thanks, thanks for saying that, Rod. Yeah, it's, no problem. Well, and to you, Scott, like you never want to burn a bridge in this industry, yeah. I don't think, because no. it could come back and haunt you, so... Exactly. That's why, and we saying, gotta, that's why I'm saying very good things about you guys. Yeah. And we got to, that's, that's very strategic. So that's good. So tell us the story about how you got involved with Keystone Labs. Sure. So Jody and I have a, a career past. We worked uh, back in early nine, mid nineties. We uh, started at a uh, government research facility in Edmonton and, uh, I've always talked about working together again. Jody, of course, branched out and started Keystone. I went a different route and was working in uh, biotech and pharma companies. And uh, we've always talked about uh, getting the band back together. <laughs> and so in 2016, I had an opportunity to come back and work with Keystone when she got into the cannabis industry to help her with the marketing and business development of that part of the business. So it's been, it's been a great two years so far. It's been a lot awesome. of fun. And from your perspective, where where do you see the industry going with new products, innovation? I mean, you probably have a pretty good perspective just doing the sales and marketing and talking to people and being out there on the front lines. Yeah, and one of the things I really think where the business is going to go is the craft grower. Mm -hmm. I really believe that. I think it's going to be very similar to the uh, craft beer market. Mm-hmm. Um, you get your Labatt's, you got your Coors Light, and then those are going to be your Canopy Grow. Those are going to be your Auroras in Canada anyway. But you're going to see these craft growers. And I think what I believe is that these underground growers that have been uh, under the radar are going to start popping up with all these new strains that people, I think, will pay $20, $30 a gram for. Yeah. Uh, like the beer market. So I really think the craft market is going to be a a big thing uh, for innovation. It seems like the extraction component, like CO2 extraction, mm -hmm. um, you see a lot of them around. Like when we went to MJ Biz in Vegas, it was extraction and vape pens. Yeah. That really seems to be where the next market is for that. So I the, con that's the convenience, I mean, it's absolutely, you have a little pen in your pocket. You're not grinding up flour and packing it into a bowl or whatever rolling yeah. a joint yeah i mean it doesn't have that uh crazy smell so right. it's pretty discreet when you can be walking down the road or in your house or wherever and it's yeah yeah convenience and i think the next thing too um 
is with the different strains, and I think the different terpene profiles are going to be really uh, of interest and, and kind of identify uh, different LPs or production facilities with those specific strains and sp- specific profiles mm-hmm. for, you know, and I think that goes back to the craft grower having that specific profile in, in the cannabinoids and the terpenes. So as a scientist and as a, uh, fair to say, a non-cannabis consumer? Correct. Um, how do you, what do you and Jody do to stay, you know how people have continuing education uh, credits when they do mm-hmm. their professional up, upkeep to their certifications and all that? How do you do that? What's the, is there a sec area in this scientific realm that's your, you know, wheelhouse that you really personally love or do you, are you required to do that kind of constant education or how does it work? Well, I'll, I'll say, you know, when, if you were to tell me 10 years ago, I was going to be working in the cannabis industry, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just like, no way. I grew up very strong Roman Catholic family. Uh, cannabis was, yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> Same here. Uh, um, and cannabis was a no-no. Like, I'm, and I, I never tried it all through high school. My mother would, have, my mother and father would have probably disowned me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, so I don't. I knew nothing about it. Never tried it. Don't know the effects of it. So when I first started coming with Key, coming to Keystone and being the man, uh, business development and marketing person for the cannabis portion of Keystone, we had a lot of learning to do. And and so it was a lot of reading, talking to people, talking to, you know, the people in the industry, the, the personal growers and, and coming to the uh, to the shows and, and learning. Like it's been uh, the two years that I've been with Keystone has been, you know, a huge learning curve, exponential. Yeah. And it's still daily learning about this plant. Well, and we assume that uh, we're behind the times in the states because of the federal limitations and we we respect canadians and we respect the israelis for all the research that happens in these market uh, uh, environments of israel and in canada i mean the canadians have got it together and there's so much happening scientifically in canada and there's so little happening scientific i mean there's more now than there ever has been because of the uh, creeping uh, normalization of, mm-hmm. of cannabis laws but there's still such an open, um, empty locker of information. You know, there's 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 such a lack of research. Um, do, do you agree that that's sort of the the Canadians' lead in that in that department, or how do you how do you? Uh, yeah, see I, th- it? I think uh, they're starting to be leaders. I think you're seeing, and um, particularly around Canada, a lot of the universities are putting in programs for cannabis. Hmm. Uh, you're seeing academia getting more into research of the plant. And now you're also seeing clinical evaluations or clinical trials with cannabis within uh, Canada. So we're starting to get a lot of the data, scientific data that will hopefully help uh, the plant in the long run. You know, in the pharmaceutical industry, they require long clinical trials, you know, human clinical trials, uh, phase one, two and three, which can take up to 10 years to get a product on the market. And so, you know, it'd be nice to get that data for the for the plant and and show people what its capabilities are. Yeah. Awesome. Rod, really appreciate you taking the time to yeah. be on the uh you're you're listening to watching a podcast called Cultivate uh put on by Bovida uh sharing with you the people and the technology that are blazing a trail in the cannabis industry. Rod Zarka from Keystone Labs. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has yeah, been great. This is awesome. 
You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. Welcome to another episode of Cultivate. This is a show about you and your journey in the cannabis industry. It's moving fast, but there's room for everyone. Buckle up as we bring you the people and the technology that are blazing the trail. Live, day two at Lemon Haze. We've got Cultivate. Lance stepping in for Drew. Thank you again. Yeah, not a problem. Today, we've got Jared Mursky, the CEO of Wick and Mortar with us. Thank you for being here, Jared. Thanks for having me. In just a quick summary, can you tell us what Wick and Mortar is and what you do in the cannabis industry? Yeah, Wick and Mortar uh, is a hybrid creative agency. We create branding um, digital marketing strategies. Uh, we handle sourcing as far as packaging is concerned, packaging design, web development, app development, um, social media content management. I mean, really the whole nine. Uh, it's been a long run, and we've been, you know, well, I, I'm, I started the company in 2009, so wow. during the inception of the cannabis industry is when we just started. just went through a rebrand. It's been about a year. Now, right? A year, yeah, a little so over it goes a year. By, so this dog years in this industry, I know, right? it flies by. But you went through this rebrand, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't need to, don't mean to do the plug, but you guys actually, I did a short, did a documentary on, and I watched yep. a clip when you guys were sitting around in that think tank brainstorming the new name and the way that you guys and the team, you got a great team. I mean, we, we do too, but it's where our companies have in common. But it was so clutch. I mean, you guys were all like Wick and more, and how you came to it. And I'm like, oh, that's going to be the name. Like, it was totally obvious. Like, it made so much sense, dude. So you've been through a lot, been around for a minute. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this transition into the new brand, it's on fire, right? Yeah. So, you know, we did it because, you know, I mean, even though we were one of, well, we were the first, you know, branding agency to approach the industry. Um, well, before it was really much of an industry, I guess you yeah. could say. You know, we had to call ourselves something as obvious as online marijuana design because there were no ancillary yeah. businesses catering themselves to the cannabis industry. And so ultimately we had to have a name that stood out as something as obvious as that. But also Google's algorithm at the time, you know, yeah, they ranked both, real well based on search guys. queries. Yeah. yeah. So yep. um, keywords for the win. Right, so online marijuana design, that was our name. You know, it wasn't creative, but it it got the job done. And so, you know, that that then transitioned into OMD agency, which was a lot more mature. Um, But we still felt like we didn't have much um, much of a personality. And given the fact that we were a branding agency with a name, with marijuana in our name, uh, pot leaf on our logo and green in our branding and here we were an agent creative agency telling everyone not to do that right. kind of it played out a, by now right yeah, so you know but you know this just goes to show that no matter how great you think you are other brands that come into play can also and ultimately dilute your brand yeah. simply by being the same because everyone's coming into this thinking that they should call themselves can of this or can of that when in fact it's almost ridiculous how many it's like every all the, every, all the yeah. colors are the green and it's like do something different and, it, and I, I think it's rubbed off on the mainstream and i don't so so that's why i think jared you and i connected we've known each other for years now but my background being digital media and marketing it's interesting because this year's pantone for 2018 is green and i really think our industry had an influence on that i really do because you're right so much green so much 
even terms like the territory apothecary, like how many apotha, apotha, how many, you, can't keep you know, organic. I mean, we have so many customers yeah. with that in their name. Yeah. When you look them up at, between our system, Canada. it pulls up 25 and it's like, wait, which one is, I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tough. you have to ask yourself, what do you look for when creating a name for your company? I mean, what we really wanted to ensure we were able to cultivate with the name we created was that we'd been around for a long time. We wanted the name to feel timeless. And when you think of the word brick and mortar, it's a word and phrase rather used so to describe something built from the ground up. And since we are a creative agency and we build brands, we are establishing the foundation for these companies. Yeah. Yeah. Brick by brick, we are helping them build their company from the yeah. ground up. And the mortar is the glue that holds these things together. And so- That's really clever. Wick and mortar, you know, it's yeah, ethereal it's awesome. too. It burns. Yeah. It's also a nod to the cannabis yeah. industry. Yeah. So we thought so it worked well. You guys, I love it, because you did start out with a core focus on marketing. Obviously, that's a great introduction to the relationship. And then you all quickly realize, and a lot of people don't know this, right? That advertising's a component within marketing. But you all started going that direction too, because that's a great, great way to not just cultivate but retain that relationship what what challenges and i know you make it all look easy because you're like you're all over social media you're i mean you've been a bit of a, a personality in the industry and yourself as a brand in the company but still it comes back to facebook and instagram obviously instagram owned by facebook google and youtube youtube owned by google so similar yeah. where are the challenges there do you guys have to get creative with what you're putting out as far as content to to keep the you know the bots happy, so to speak, well, as we say? you know, first I have to say that most creative agencies don't try and position themselves as, life, as lifestyle brands. Yeah. You know, as a creative agency, we wanted to show what our personalities were like, primarily because we have so much fun doing what we do that we felt like we should share the same experience we have working on the brands we create for our clients as the same experience they would like to have when they build the brand themselves. But because they don't know how to do it, they want to work with an agency. So why not make that process fun? Because honestly, that is the most fun part of building a brand. Yeah. Um, so, you know, looking at how we first satisfy the client, right, is paramount. That's what you get. You probably get a lot of people that come back and you go, man, you, you put my brand on point. Everything's spot on. Now, how do I Because that's the way I used to describe it. I'd be like, okay. You getting your, your business together off the ground and everything, it's like you're getting ready to throw a sick party, right? You got yep. top shelf alcohol or top shelf flour, top shelf flour, whatever it is. You still need to send out invites. You yep. still need to let people know where you are. That's especially when I was in digital media, I'd be like, okay, we built this sick site and they're like, cool, all the traffic's gonna come, I'm gonna turn it into this no. juggernaut in the no. world of, of <laughs> click and mortar, as we used to say, right? If you build it, they won't come. No, they yeah. don't come because I'm like, you you have an island. So imagine you're Hawaii and there, there's no planes, there's no ships, there's no nothing. That, that's the advertising that has to come in. So I think that's what you're getting. It's like that you guys, okay, yeah, now we built this for you and they will come right. because you're gonna have us help you there too. Right? Yeah, I mean, from a social perspective, I mean, you really, really have to get granular with respect to how you approach the people you're tar trying to market. When I began my uh, you know, exploration of LinkedIn, because um, I would say LinkedIn has been uh, a platform that I've been able to dedicate a portion of my success to. Oh, yeah. Primarily because I've just been able to tap into a really good market. But essentially what I started doing was requesting relationships through um, LinkedIn that were, uh, you know, creative directors and other agency owners because I felt like the work we were doing would be something that they would be interested in engaging with. They're not doing that stuff, and a lot of them aren't. So I have friends and family in, uh, you know, the large agency, you know, traditional agency world over there in, in yeah. good old New York. And so, you know, I kind of tapped into some of their connections and, 
and really started to explore. And before I knew it, I had a lot of people with their eyes on, you know, OMD. And yeah, then we sure. went through the rebrand and we documented it. And then people were really inspired by the process of the process we took because. Honestly, not a lot of agencies are as transparent as I think we are about our process. We don't think that our process is necessarily the secret sauce. We think that that it only conveys that we are a cannabis company that's focused on cannabis, rather that has their shit together. Yeah. And that's what peop that's what brands in the industry need to see when working with especially new as in it the matures. Space or, yeah. I mean, you get these these companies in Canada that are these high-level CEOs and very buttoned up. Yeah. Yeah. And you have some news on that too in Canada, don't you? Yeah, that's some... that's. I have to share because I'm so excited about it. Because Jared and I always catch up all the shows, and we were down at CSC. We were at the uh, Cannabis Science Conference down in Portland. Got to hang out with Fran Drescher. Great yep, video. Yep. And and I have to say, man, you shared it, and I'm so stoked because having been a former business owner myself, a few companies like this is pivotal for you, man. You picked up Aurora, which we are good friends. We love that LP. We love a lot of the LPs we work with, but Aurora. Man, there is something about that company. So when I heard you picked up, tell us about that, man. That is a huge win. You know, um, I actually I love I love everything about them as far as uh, you know my experience working with them. Yep. Um, you know, Tracy and Marcel, uh, they've been excellent to work with. They're so down to earth. You know, you'd think that with a company of that size and corporate structure, they'd yeah. be a bit stuffy, but. So, so not Canadians. at all. Oh, they're, oh, they're amazing. They've beauty, all got a beauty. Better well, percent. Yeah, they've got again. They're a good representation of um, a, uh, a a brand with life. You know, you can't have a lifestyle, but they definitely are a brand with life. You know, um, no, it's been great working with them. We've been we've been really really focused on building out a uh, sales training manual. It's been. This has been a huge project, uh, but I'm super stoked. I mean, they love it. We love yeah. it. It's it's a work of art. It's and awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. I yeah, appreciate that. Serious, man. Because they are not, and that's the thing. I don't think people continue on Canada. That's that's a territory that Scott has to focus on. They, the, it's world domination. Like it's a game of it's a game of monopoly, and they own all Park Place all the way to Pasco. I mean, they are definitely dominant. So I think it's cool because yeah, Aurora is a lot of people think Canada think of a Canadian LP. But man, they're they're at the shows with us down in the states, right? I mean, they're they're and I, everywhere. And I yeah. know they're in Europe. I know I like I'm keeping track of all the LPs in every continent I run into them on. Yeah. And they seem like a company that's doing it right. So they're smart to. Well, to and pick I, you know, I think that's been up. our focus is really working with just public companies and companies going public. You know, we've we're working with uh, Covalent, uh, formerly known as Doyen Elements, uh, and then um, you know. Uh, Fingers crossed, but we're talking to GTI about working with a uh, a brand uh, and helping them rebrand. Actually, uh, yeah. a company they just recently acquired. Nice. Um, so, and then you know we're working with uh, PacX, uh, which you, yep. yeah, we know PacX. Yep. Yep. Chris, amazing, amazing individual. Yep. Uh, their team is just phenomenal. So we're helping them actually uh, develop a doc, uh, a, a little uh, 15 minute documentary on uh, you know paying homage to. Humboldt and what's to be the Appalachians of Humboldt and yeah, yeah, sure. the culture and the microclimates and the dry, um, uh, you know, the dry growing and uh, cultivation and uh, just really everything that makes them unique. In fact, many people, as I'm sure you know, consider 
potency the best way to price cannabis, which we all know is not the way yeah. to do it. Can't Keeping wait till we get past that. Yeah. Can't and wait then, till we get past course, the, the adolescence well, phase. And here. then, you know, everyone just assumes that indoor grown cannabis is always going to be superior to that yeah. of outdoor. Indoor light depth, and you hit, and, and I think, I think it's safe to say that you're a bit of a purist. I mean, I, I, I deem myself a cannoisseur. I have such a large respect for outdoor, you know, not to get on a tangent, but you know, I mean, you get past the genotype into the phenotype that any could, you mentioned it, like the marine layer, these micro environments that make the triangle so special, right? Well, they grow their vegetables alongside. Yeah. Companion crops, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. a big thing. I have friends that they plant clover leaves between their rows because from a, a phytoremediation of moisture. It's something that just helped keep moisture in the ground. Keep yeah. the I mean, it's just, it's so That's crazy. That's a really interesting fact. We just named a company Clover. Really? I shit you not. So <laughs> That's I, dope. I will, I would, I would love for you to share that with, uh, my creative der uh, director Derek uh, yeah. at the end because that's, that's a really stuff. interesting fact. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, you learn something. There's, there's yeah. some every day. Better plants than others. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some are traditionalists. They do things like roses on the on the front of their crop, like the wineries and such. Do yeah, oh, yeah. there's all different types of traditions. But now you can tell it's what I miss living in SoCal compared to growing up in NorCal. Yeah. Things like that. I mean, it's just. What are some uh, challenges you see brands or companies facing in terms of advertising and marketing? as it gets more regulated, the whole market, or the whole industry as a whole? Well, everyone has their own interpretations of what they think packaging rules are. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, there are a lot of designers that don't do their due diligence. And so the cultivator relies on the designer to provide them with what they think is the best packaging solution, yeah. when in fact, it's not always the best possible, yeah. possibly harmful for the environment, um, and I mean, more importantly, it's not legal, yeah. right? So uh, it's a big one, right? Yeah. That's it's it. kind of important. That's what's great. Some some people lead with with the requisite and the regulations, right, around their packaging, and others lead with the passion of design and the creative elements of marketing. Well, you know, right? so I, when I'm when I'm vetting a, a potential client or a relationship, you know, one of the first questions I ask them is if they've ever worked with a creative agency before, because it is significantly different than working with a designer. Yeah, designer or consultant in general, or consultant, because right? designers solve what kind of problems? Designer problems, but design, but a branding agency solves business problems through design. Yeah, right, and storytelling. Yeah, and so um, a lot of the a lot of the you know uh, potential clients that we work with often become rebrands because when they come to us, they think they've done it right or have a good start. Yeah. And then I tell them our process and like, oh shit, <laughs> I had no idea that was even part of it. They didn't know that there was a part where you go through and you build the personality of your company, right? Yeah. Who would have thought that was a product? That doesn't come when you create the name? No, you do the personality before you, you do the name. It makes it easier to come up with the name, right? It's, yeah. There's just a formula. Yeah. Crazy. So that's, and that's a good way of putting it. You do kind of, to a certain uh, level, breathe life into it. And I think some of the stuff you do, it's shown. Like, it definitely has shown that you, and the way you launch it, too, I think that's, and to your point, again, we're both on LinkedIn all the time, but that's what I love about following you is you're like, hey, what do you guys think? Like, this is something we're working on. This is a brand we're getting ready to launch, but would like a little input from, from my peers. I think it's awesome because a lot of companies want to keep that under wrap. Some of these bigger guys are rep companies like Coca-Cola and Apple and stuff. They like keeping it so secretive, and they're so confident that what they're going to put out is going to kill it. Yet, 
you're kind of humble in that way, right? You're kind yeah. of modest and like, let's get a little feedback. Let's test the waters. Yeah, I like that. And I, and I like it because, you know, sometimes clients will also allow us to reveal parts and pieces of the brand as we start to reveal it because they're interested in getting feedback from other high-level creatives. It's almost an added benefit. It's like my survey network, right? Yeah. 100%. But from people that come from the traditional space. So it's nice. Um, and I would also say that, uh, you know, another mixture of my, you know, mayhem, which I call LinkedIn, yeah. um, uh, is, uh, you know, investors and other cultivators because, I mean, who am I marketing to? Them, yeah. right? Yeah. And of course, distribution companies and yeah. dispensary chains and so forth. But, uh, you know, I would say that that has allowed me to establish engagement is just really understanding who would even be interested in looking at packaging. Yeah. Right? Who wants it, to look at that? It makes sense, though. Right? I mean, that's, I, I worked for a few companies. We talk about this company above it. You know, the, the core, and I've told our marketing team, we got a few guys here filming us right now from it. You know, we, we are. Marketing is at our core, it's our company. You know, it's really, it's about our brand being on point. We're even starting to dabble a little into the lifestyle, as you mentioned. Some companies, sales. I worked for a company before this, it, the, the, the nuclei of that company was sales, which is fine. But it, it really, it's something about that whole marketing component, component really shapes it and it helps people relate to it. We love, I mean, that's why we do something. You, should, you see us, we're at every show. I mean, we love being up because we love getting in touch with the consumer and getting feedback on what yeah. we're doing and how it's working for them. Yeah. So I think that's really cool that you appreciate that. that. The I appreciate that. Too, for sure. So I think another thing to look at, and, and we can keep this totally ambiguous because you and I both know, we all know yeah. that there's a few brands that have been doing it very wrong. Uh, just in general, though, what would you say? And I think we kind of touched on this. You talked about leaves everywhere and, and green Pantone. And, but what are the biggest mistakes that some of these brands, small and large, are making in the industry right now? Great question. I think without going into the rabbit hole of necessarily design, let's take a step back and look at process. Because I think understanding the process, first and foremost, will help reveal the obvious design faux pas, right? So when we approach uh, you know, any client, we start with the creative brief. The creative brief is where we go through a series of in-depth questions tailored to your business that help us better understand and solidify the creative direction moving forward. These very specific questions reveal information and insight that is paramount to uh, the process in terms of how you approach the creative. Yeah. So once we've had the ability to extrapolate that information, we then move into the brand directional mood boards. The brand directional mood boards is where we, well, I think the best way to put this is, let's look at Gillette Razors and the Dollar Shave Club. Yeah. Gillette is the best a man can get, right? Very masculine, bold, futuristic in their aesthetic approach is where the Dollar Shave Club is witty, comical, yeah. right? Funny. Yeah. And the amount of money they spent to put together their commercial is nominal in comparison to what Gillette has had to spend. Yeah. But nonetheless... Uh, the Dollar Shave Club was very successful. Why? Well, they took a risk. They differentiated themselves completely and so well, in fact, that... Uh, Gillette they, came back, right? They, well, so, in fact, that uh, um, the Dollar Shave Club, uh, you know, grew to become the monster they are today yeah. while competing with Gillette. This behemoth. Right? Which Gillette, to your point, that's, I love that story. I'm going to geek out. But this is one thing I thought was pivotal, and this is when you know a disruptor has made an impact on an industry. So Gillette, there's a lot of companies that kind of monopolize certain niches in certain industries, right? Gillette had owned it for so long, and there was none of that personal. They never talked about their employee. Have you seen their latest campaign? I mean, they literally came out with a marketing campaign that targeted Dollar Shave Club and said, 
made in America, made by these hardworking individuals from this town. Like they literally pivoted their whole, we're the best, we're number one, we're the only, and by the way, we charge you eight bucks a blade. There was no like personal connection no, uh, for the, the consumer to the They the don't touch on the real parts of social responsibility. But yeah. my point of that was that had the Dollar Shave Club came out with a personality that was similar to Gillette, much like Braun, right? Yeah. Um, they would have created more competition for themselves prior to even starting. So they're failing before they start. Yeah. So when you see brands come to market, they're trying to emulate or echo another brand that they saw when, in fact, that's not the right way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You need to take a risk, calculated, of course, but again, that's why people come to agencies to help provide those creative suggestions and solutions uh, and explorations with supporting rationales to show why you should do this. So once we've solidified on a personality that we've presented, we you know provide them with you know uh, curated images that are designed to make you feel specific emotions alongside personality traits or words like bold or futuristic if we were to use those, but with supporting rationale to reinforce the why behind bold and futuristic because bold to you can mean something different to me. Oh, yeah, 100. Yeah. So we get very definitive, but from there then we go into the naming process. You know we had this client come to us with the name Uncle Mark's Farm. And uh, oh, the story of Uncle Mark is that this, Diane, this gal, Diane, and her husband, Chris, and Uncle Mark, who was growing cannabis in eastern Washington, and he was growing, uh, uh, you, know, medical, you know, essentially medical marijuana. Yeah. And um, he was arrested by the federal government and sent to prison, and in prison he got sick and died. And so they wanted to br build a brand when cannabis became legal in Oregon and call it Uncle Mark's Farm. But I told them that that was a not a good name yeah. and, and, and it stemmed from the information that they gave me through the creative brief they said they didn't want it to be masculine yeah. um, they, when I asked them to uh, close their eyes and tell me what they visualized when they said Uncle Mark's Farm they said a guy in overalls standing in front of a farm so that's pretty masculine and yeah. then when you look that's at the fact that so many brands in the industry have farm at the end and then a name prior to Uncle Ike's right there's just yeah. all of these uncles yeah. Mark's they're, they're very same same right yeah. so we explain to them the faux pas and the situations that could arise if we decided to take this route. Yeah. So they gave us the ability to change their name. The name we chose was Rebel Spirit. The reason very why clever. Rebel Spirit yeah, worked in a number clever. of ways is because unlike Uncle Mark's Farm, we were no longer hindered by our ability to expand on the brand's visual language, right? With Rebel Spirit, when you look at and think of the name, their Uncle Mark is a rebel and his spirit will live on through the brand, but more importantly, each and every consumer and patient purchases cannabis illegally on a federal level. Yeah, Thus, Uncle Mark lives vicariously through all of us because we can purchase that and get away that's with a, it. That's, that's deep, that's so clever. Yeah. I mean, that's like talking about like the FABs, the, the features, advantages, benefits. Some people focus so much on features of something, they don't discuss the advantages and benefits. Very similar though, you were talking about like, yeah, we can still pay that homage, but, but we can, do it in a different way. Like, cause that's the first thing I picture. I'm like, it'd be okay to have a, a guy stand in front of a, or almost, I would think almost like a silhouette of him in front of a farm or a sunset in the background cause of it being Spokane or Eastern Washington. But to your point, some it's a little more general. That totally meant like, obviously you're good at what you do, man. This, this all I makes sense. <laughs> this all makes yeah, sense. Yeah, sometimes it's nice to remain a little vague and have a bit of mystery. Yeah, yeah. And not always be so obvious. Again, online marijuana design. That's about yeah. as literal as it gets. Yeah. Again, we rebranded because if you look at the landscape of brands in the industry today, they're all most of them are going to need a rebrand. If you if yeah. a lot of you growers out there are wondering why you're starting to see sales drop, it's because when you started, you were all branded equally as terrible. 
Yeah. Well, and we now, used to now be... there's good brands coming to market, and yep. so those are starting to create what's called brand loyalty. Bit of a People disruption are, there, huh? And so now, now you're seeing the shift. Yeah. And now you're st- there's the the brown the uh, brand bouncing is starting to happen less and less and less. Yeah. And so Bovida before it was Bovida was Humidipack. I mean, it's like it, literally that's exactly what our packets are. It's a Humidipack. Yeah. Just and, simple white and blue packs. And everyone, you know? people are coming out with knockoffs, like Humapuck, Huma this. And it's like, we need to like differentiate ourselves yeah. from everyone else because we have a patented technology that no one else can make. And then that's where you get Bovida, which is a Spanish word for vault. Mm-hmm. So It's like Humapack. Was it Humapack you said? Humidipack. Humidipack, Humidipack yeah. would be like the name of the product. And then Boveda is the name of the company, right? Yeah. You can, you know, that yeah. would have been actually kind of a cool name yeah. to coin for that, and then you yeah. can. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, for cool. sure. But it's anyways, cool um, well, what do you think about, man? There's there's so much, again, you're, you're out there on the scene, yeah. you get it, you see it. The future of cannabis, like, in general. I know yes. it's a very it's vague a, it's and a open-ended hard question. question. Yeah. We like to but ask so, everyone, though, that comes yeah, on that just question. Just like, what do you see in the future? I mean, keep in mind, obviously, the first G7 country to, to come online, that being Canada, and some of the things they have up their sleeves. And You know, you we're know. working with a company right now uh, called Melix, which is really cool because um, what we're doing is uh, we have DNA test kits that will um, test your, uh, your, your DNA to tell you what terpene profiles work best with your genetic makeup or markers, rather. I think I've heard a little bit about this. Wow. Yeah. So they're yeah. called Neelix GX, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's cool, right? Because that's next level stuff. I mean, again, we a lot of us are kind of regulars. We talk about it all the time. Like, one of the things I always bring up, like, stop asking me indica or sativa. There, it's not even, I mean, 80, 90% of what out there is a hybrid. Ask me what my favorite terpene is. Ask me what my favorite profile between THC, CBD, and CBN or CBG is. Yeah. Like, let, let's take it to the next level because we need to. I mean, and we all lead with education. You're like me. Like, I've, I've seen people walk up to you and, and you lead the conversation with education. Scott does it. I do it. And I'm just hoping that we get there. But man, sky's the limit, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, you talk about education and that's that's really why, uh, you know, uh, well, mutual friend of ours, JJ Walker. Yep. Uh, Cannabition, Cannabis Museum in Las Vegas. Right there on the strip. One of the only cannas, I will admit, that I had no problem branding because in this instance, it actually makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, no, but a great place to get informed and educated. So if you're in Las Vegas, <laughs> and go you want to downtown see- Las Vegas in the Fremont District and you will yeah. find Cannabis and it is awesome. And that's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember another friend of ours, uh, Jerome Baker. Yep. I think that's the world's Jason biggest Harris, bomb. yep. Right? Yep. Jason yeah. Harris, a.k.a. Drone Baker. Yep. Glass, yep. Uh, blue uh, Bongzilla, 24-foot bong. Yeah. Shout out to Jason. Yeah, man. And he's got, I love his, you, you've been to his, uh, his place shop. in the art yeah. district. His shop is dope. Well, is that yeah, the bomb he, um, that's over here? No, this is, a, this is a, relatively speaking, a small one in okay. <laughs> his collection. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and he actually blew um, the, uh, he blew a uh, wick and mortar pipe for us, actually. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. He did, I mean, his, he... Beautiful, beautiful work that he does. I'm a huge yeah, fan. I'm sure we'll be we'll be by over there during. MJ yeah, actually, Busy I'm having him come down for Pacific Expeditors uh, um, Emerald Cup because they're sponsoring the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, and um, I have I have uh, Jason flying down with some of his bongs. Nice. So he's signing, uh, autographing uh, covers of Dope Magazine. That'd That's be sick. It's cool. This has been another live episode of Cultivate here at Lemon Haze. Got Jared here, 
with Wick and Mortar. Thank you for being on the show. If you need to rebrand or you're looking for some help in advertising, hit them up. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.